Good morning, everyone. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was just laughing. I was just telling the guys, you got to get your act together, man. Don't get up there and start crying. You know, it's like, I'm sorry, I, I got my act together. But I'm telling you, that song just is representative of everything that we believe in. And, um, you know, we're entering to Easter, and Easter is one of those times that there are wild assumptions going on about what's taking place at Easter. And I, I think about somebody that doesn't have a lot of knowledge about the scriptures or even about Christianity, or you may even be here today and you don't even give a rip, you just got dragged here. And I get that. And, and, and every Sunday I try to cater everything that I say into three categories, for the God-lover, for the God-doubter, and for the God-hater. Uh, because life can deliver you into any one of those places where you end up. And so I try to, every, I got 35 minutes to, t- to kind of communicate to that group. And um, when I think about Easter, we make assumptions that everybody comes to church and everybody understands what's going on. And it'd be equivalent to you walking up onto a crime scene and there's a body there and there's a, a gun and, and, you know, there's people standing around and there's somebody running away and, and you're supposed to try to figure out everything that was happening in that scene. And, and people will come to church on Easter and will say, um, uh, you know, Jesus died for the sins of the world, then he rose again, and then we'll see you at Christmas time, and, and we'll do the whole thing over again, and a lot of us just walk away. It's like, what the heck just happened? I mean, because if we're really thinking about this Jesus dying on the cross, it is a crazy story. I mean, I know we don't want to couch it in that phrase, but if we were really honest, you know, if we were, it's like, it's a really, it's a different story. And when you walk up on it, and you know, and you're, you're wondering who died, who killed him, why didn't he stop it? Um, there's a lot there. And so God led me to write this series on person of interest. And this is really important. And I, when I wrote this, I, I started like three weeks ago or two weeks ago and started writing it down. I'm like, this is brilliant. This is awesome. God just gave me this idea. And so I've told you when I get a good idea, I'm like, wow, Paul, you're awesome. You're amazing. So I Google person of interest to understand it more from a criminal. There's already a book written, person of interest, about the life and death of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, there you go. You're not as brilliant as you think you are. Uh, so and that's okay. I can live with that. But the, if you want to know more about the forensics of the life of Jesus, the death of Christ, and his resurrection, if you want to understand it from forensic investigation and also from science, there is a book called Person of Interest that will help you walk through, if you have some real genuine skepticism about how it all happened, is it reliable, the information, it's all there. But in a crime case, you would normally ask questions like, who was the victim, um, how was it done? Why was it done? Where did it happen? Where are those who were responsible for what took place? And where are the suspects now? So when we, we, we look at the cross of Christ, I'm going to ask some of those same questions. Not from trying to prove it to you from a historical standpoint, but um, more from an experience standpoint. What does this mean for me? What's the big deal? Who was this person? Why him? Why, why did this happen? Why did he die on the cross? Now, I'm going to use some language that some of you are not going to like. Uh, some bad language, but then there's also some religious language. Like, I'm going to talk about judgment. I'm going to talk about sin. I'm going to talk about um, uh, dying for the sins of the world. And, and some of you will look, hear that, 
and classify it as rhetoric, religious rhetoric, and you're already checking out just listening to it. So I don't, I don't believe that you, you know, anybody has to die for anybody. I don't believe sin. I don't believe in all that. Believe, you know, it's all, it's all rhetoric. Let me just say, if you, from this point on, move forward with that premise, that premise only uh, cascades in a negative direction. Because if you're going to be true and, and consistent with your logical uh, premise, then you have to end up with the idea that there is no ultimate meaning to life uh, and that there is no objective good and wrong in the universe. So before you dismiss me out of hand, if you dismiss this idea of somebody dying for the sins of the world, you have to also reject that your life has ultimate meaning because the same concept would undermine the other. So, so let me just get you to maybe get back in the conversation as we talk about this. Um, so Jesus is our person of interest today. And here's why Jesus is so important. Because Jesus is a person of interest, we become persons of interest. Uh, we do a lot in our lives to become interesting, don't we? I mean, we dress a certain way, we pick certain professions, we, we drive a certain car, uh, we, we may hang out with certain people, we, we try to become persons of interest, or we say it this way, I want to be relevant or I want to be interesting. I want to be an interesting person. Now think about all the things that you do to try to become interesting. And we do, we spend a lot. Some of us choose our careers just because we want to become a person of interest. And we've put a lot of energy and effort in trying to become a person of interest. Jesus is the person of interest, and we become person of interest as a result of him. So instead of doing all that work that you and I do every single day, and I am just like you, I try to be interesting. I try to be creative, try to be different. I try to dress in an interesting way. Uh, not too interesting, but interesting. And I try to um, be relevant and all that stuff in order to maintain the status of being interest. And then here's, this is the reason why people don't like growing old, because I'm experiencing that for the first time in my life. As I'm getting older, you become what? Less interesting. You, you, you just become less interesting. You just become old. And you can't run fast. You can't jump high. You can't outdo it. And, and advertising knows you're not interesting. And advertising goes to like from 25 to 32. And once you're out of that window, you're, they're even corporations are, you're not really interesting to us anymore. And so, so this idea of trying to constantly perpetuate this idea, I am interested. I am I'm a person who's valid. I, I have meaning is exhausting, and it's expensive. But what we're going to discover is that Jesus is a person of interest so that we become persons of interest. There's a cultural phrase that's real big now in the world of art. It's called derivative. And you'll hear song being played, and everybody will say, well, that's so derivative of Prince, or that's so derivative of the Beatles, or that's so derivative of Van Halen. I don't think anybody ever said that. But I think they'll just say that you're so derivative. And the idea is that you kind of get all your stuff from somebody else. And then we live in a world that everybody's a snowflake and nobody's derivative of anything, that we're, we're the emergence of the brilliance of humanity every single day. I don't know what house you're waking up in, but that's the pressure. That everything's, and what we're going to find out is that all the humanity is derivative. 
And the sooner that you rest in the fact that you can be derivative of Christ, you will enjoy life so much better. That you allow his creativity to become your creativity. You allow his mercy to become your mercy. You allow his forgiveness to become your forgiveness. And you begin to kind of lean into being derivative, which is so anti-cultural right now. But the sooner you discover the, Jesus, the person of interest, your life becomes so much interest, more interesting. So we're going to use kind of an investigative board, and we're going to look at Paul's letter to the Colossians, and, and then basically to us, because we're going to look at this Jesus. And you're going to find, as I did in the first service, we're going to find out that most of you may not really know who this Jesus is. I know you're going to use the, I don't want to say cliche, you're going to use the ordinary words, oh, he's the Messiah, Uh, he's the Christ, he's Lord, he's the Son of God. Um, But as we're going to look into this investigative board, we're going to find out more about him. Who is this person of interest? What was done? Why was it done? Who was it done for? And what were the effects of it? Who is this person on the cross? This is really a person of interest. So we've got to get Jesus right. Um, This is going to be a big deal about getting Jesus right. A couple years ago, we were down in Florida, and uh, we were out on the beach. And while we were on the beach, we found out that we forgot something. So I ran back uh, to the place where we were staying on the beach, and um, I ran into a man in in our apartment or in our, our hotel room. And he was rifling through my wife's stuff. And uh, so, you know, I'm just, you know, coming back, getting, I don't know, suntan lotion or something. And I come into the room and there is this guy and and, um, he's just going through my wife's stuff and I'm like, oh, crap. You know, it's like, I mean, I'm not ready for a fight. You know, I like to think I'm ready for a fight. I can't kick it. I cannot kick anybody's butt. Okay, when I have armadillo go through my, my yard, I have other people shoot them, okay? Because I can't shoot an armadillo. But so I'm standing there face to face with this, with this um, I'm just going to describe him. He was a white guy, he was shorter, he was stocky, he had a lot of tattoos, and he was bald, okay? So I'm looking at him, he's looking at me. I, I know he can take me, but I'm just like... Uh, by God's good graces, and I mean really God, God gave me some things to say to him. Uh, um, I asked, do you have what you need? And uh, he was kind of surprised that that would be my first thing. And then I said to him, and I turned my body, and uh, you, got, you got church bells on your phone? <laughs> I don't know if I should be ticked or blessed. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, so I, I, I showed him the door and I said, there's the door. And so he took the door and he ran. And so he runs out. I start chasing him. And then it's like, and I'm serious. It's like a hundred yards into this chase. I'm realizing he's going to kick your butt. Why are you chasing him? And I realized I thought that's what men do. And so I just stopped. Uh, not what this man does. So I let him go. Well, later on the police get him. Um, and so I actually get contacted by the police and they want me to identify him out of a group of, of people. And so, uh, they bring in like five stocky, short, white, bald guys. Okay. 
I didn't know they all looked the same. I mean, I could not believe it. I'm like, oh, crap. And I'm just like, I can, I can, I don't know which one it is. But my decision on who I am, I am about to pick out is going to affect their lives. And, and, and when we look at this idea about Jesus, if we're going to accuse him of dying on the cross, being our savior, taking away the sins of the world, we better get the right one. I mean, we better have the right idea about who Jesus is. And right now, America does not have the right idea about who Jesus is. We're in a society, and, and, and I'm, I'm not talking about the secular folks. I'm not talking about the unbeliever. I'm not talking about, let's leave them alone. I'm talking about the American church. That we're pumping out a different Jesus. Okay? I mean, it, it, he, is, he is our best buddy. He's our lover. Um, He's cool with me. He's my best friend. Um, He's all kinds of things. And we shape him and mold him into whatever we want him to be. There's books out called The Universal Christ. And he's like, whatever you want to be. You know, your dog is your Christ. This rock is your Christ. You know, and your pursuit, your happiness is your Christ. When you are happy, you are experiencing the divine. And when you experience the divine, you will experience the Christ. You are the Christ, therefore. I mean, that's kind of the malarkey and bullcrap that is being sold to America from American churches. I know you felt like I went over the top there, didn't you? You're like, this is a little over the top. You want to hear over the top? Listen to this, Galatians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul. Right into the Galatians. I mean, Jesus has been dead, resurrected, and up to heaven, not even for 30 years. Not even 30 years has gone by. And Paul has to write to one of the churches, uh, and he says this to them. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. This is a different, short, stocky, bald guy. Because I can't believe that you are getting this wrong. He says, which is really not another gospel, only that there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we preach to you, let him be accursed. Now let me just tell you how strong this language is. Paul is saying even this. He says, even if I come back to you in a month and I preach to you a different gospel, let me be accursed. I mean, that's how, but, but let me just go even further with you. He says, if anybody preaches to you, let him be accursed. It is equivalent to me saying here, in total biblical equivalency in the language, this idea of an anathema is if in any church that you go to and they preach a different Jesus, let that preacher go to hell. That's what the language is. Don't leave here angry at me because I used a a naughty word. Um, I don't think it's really that naughty, but a naughty word. But that's the strength of this statement, that we got to get this Jesus right. He goes on to say, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds are, will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of the devotion to Christ. For if one comes to you and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel um, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. 
You'll listen to whatever's on Instagram. You'll listen to whatever's on TikTok. You'll listen to whatever idea about what Jesus is. And he's like, and you'll just, you'll just believe it. He's just like, what's happening? He, he says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So he's getting it. He's, we got to get this Jesus right. The apostles were so adamant about this right Jesus, they, they, they're going to use this phrase that I'm going to kind of just land on today. And uh, it's, it's such a beautiful phrase. Out of Acts chapter 17, this is what it says. And according to Paul's uh, custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you, is the Christ. This Jesus. See, because there might have been one out of 20 guys in Palestine and in Jerusalem at that time, maybe one in 30, were named Jesus. So it's kind of like, or there might have been all these other Messiah-type figures that were out there claiming to be the Messiah, you know, uh, all these people that were claiming to be something. And so the apostle uses this phrase. He says, okay, I, I know you heard about that Jesus and that Jesus and that Messiah and that Messiah. But then Paul says, no, but this Jesus, the one that I'm preaching to you, this is the Jesus. The apostle Peter in Acts chapter 4 or in Acts chapter 2 uses the same phrase when he talks to all the people. He says, this Jesus whom you crucified was the son of God. Matter of fact, even the angel in Acts chapter 1, when, when Jesus ascends into heaven, all the apostles and the crowd are just kind of standing there watching, you know, boom. And all of a sudden, while, before their eyes come down, standing next to them is a group of angels, and they say to him, hey, listen, this Jesus, this Jesus who you just saw go up will be the same one that one day will come in his glory in the clouds. This Jesus... So my responsibility to you today is to make sure you got the right Jesus. Because there's only one this Jesus. So this is, this is really important. Otherwise, you know, you, we could line up all our Jesuses. All the books, all the ideas of, about God, all our theories about how God thinks. All of us got in our minds some sort of image of who God is and what God behaves like. And the apostles saying, listen, yeah, yeah. It's this Jesus. And we need to make sure that we have this right. And you may say, well, come on, I think you're really exaggerating this, getting this part wrong. Well, let me just tell you a little bit of the surveys that have been done to reveal that not everyone in America knows who is on the cross. They cannot pick out the right man in the lineup. When asked if Jesus, who Jesus was, 43% of American Christians, uh, folks like us, um, said he was just a good teacher and he's not anything more than that. He's just a good teacher. Put him in there with Gandhi and a couple other uh, great historic Plato, Aristotle. Put him out there with all the rest. 43% of American Christians believe he is just, he's just a dude who had some really good ideas, but he's not God. When Americans in general were asked the exact same, and this is really embarrassing. 46% said he was a good teacher and not sure uh, anything more about that. 
when asking the general populace of the United States, the percentage of people that believed, I, I, I mean, basically meaning this, is that the American church still doesn't have a clue who Jesus is, more than anybody else. And you may be here today, and you may be walking around with a Jesus. And it's not this Jesus. And so that's really challenging. And, it, and, and the Apostle Paul was very clear, listen, if we're going we're, to, we're so, matter of fact, let me just make sure I'm running through my head real quick. Yeah, I don't think Paul ever tells any group of people they're going to hell. Though the American church loves doing that. Um, that other than preachers who preach a different Jesus. That's how important. It's like, wait, what about heroin addicts? What about people with different lifestyles? No, he doesn't say that at all. It's like he personally goes after one group of people and says, let them be a Christian. He doesn't even say let them be forgiven so that they go to heaven. He goes, no, let them go to hell. Preachers who communicate the wrong Jesus. That's how intense this subject is. That's how scary my job is. <laughs> I better get this right. When asked if Jesus committed sins just like other people, 52% said Jesus um, committed sins and he had to die for his own sins also. So based upon that, if Jesus is just another dude and has some great ideas and committed sins and had to die for sins in the world, basically anybody could have been Jesus. I mean, I'm a basically good guy. I have never murdered anybody. Honest. I've done some other things, but I have never, I, I am, I'm a pretty good guy. I've committed sins. So technically, I could go on the cross and die for the sins of the world and my own sins, and you could call me the Christ. I mean, if that's the qualifications, but again, what we're seeing in statistics is that 52%, including Christians, just believe that Jesus was a good guy, had his own mistakes, and there's nothing more to him. So when we look at the person of interest on the cross, some of us don't have the right guy. And we're going to learn about this Jesus. And this is really important. You're, getting Jesus right is important because if your Jesus is a schmuck um, and then you're a born-again schmuck, I mean, if you, so you're going to ask a schmuck into your heart and then I want to become like the schmuck? All you're going to be is a schmuck. Now, I'm just working some pretty much basic logic here. So your idea of Jesus not only determines in your mind who Jesus is, also the quality of work that he can produce in your life. If his nature is schmuck, then the best he can produce is schmuck. Have I used the word schmuck enough? I think I've used it enough. This is important. If he's, if he's just a good teacher, but he thinks he's the son of God, if he thinks he sits at the right hand of the Father, if he thinks he can forgive the world, and he is not that. He is the worst of all creatures ever created. Or he's this Jesus. So we're going to take a look at what Paul said about Jesus. And don't worry, it won't, it won't be long, but I, I, I just want to challenge you. We've got, again, go back to my illustration. We've got a bunch of short stocky, tattooed, 
bald-headed white guys in front of us, and we got to pick out the right. We got to pick out the right one because it's very important we get it right. It's very important we get Jesus right. So here, here goes Paul talking about this Jesus that he just talked about. About you better get this right. For he, God the Father, rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. We'll talk about that later. That's that's under the realm of effects. Now talking about Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Um, We were made in the image of God. Jesus is the image of God. And there is a big difference. Jesus is the uncreated, perfect image of God. He is not created in the image of God. Or put it this way. He is not merely a perfect representation for God. He is the perfect presentation of God. And there is a big difference. See, you and I were made in the image of God. um, And we are representatives of God. We're supposed to represent God his mercy, his love. We're supposed to be representatives, ambassadors of flourishing, to help other people flourish in their lives, to flourish in relationships in our lives. We're, we're supposed to be kind of like goodwill ambassadors, but, but we are representatives. We are made in the image of God, and we are here to represent God. And then none of us is perfect at doing it. So Jesus isn't like Adam, so if in your, in your mind you're thinking, well, yeah, Jesus is just like what Adam was before he, was, before he sinned. No. Jesus is the perfect representation of God. Perfect representation of God. Listen to the way it's said in another uh, epistle in Hebrews chapter 1. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The radiance of the glory. Just let that fall into your Star Trek mind. Let it fall into your Marvel mind. Let it fall into your Lord of the Rings mind. Um, or, or your DC comic mind. That's a little disappointing. But let it just drop in. Let it drop into your mind. I mean, when you think about all the characters that are out there, Thanos and, and uh, Gandalf and um, uh, Captain Kirk and uh, um, who's the one from... Uh, 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 what they call Transformers, who's Optimus Prime. I mean, you think, I mean let's think about all the, the top of the, of the chain of some mythology. And we're kind of like, and you might have had one of those nerd conversations. I believe Batman can beat up Superman, you know? Or I, I bet you it's Superman that Thor can beat Superman. Or, and you might have had one of those conversations where these, these ultimate heroes. Okay, so now that we're all kind of attracted to some stuff like that, preeminence, you know, you may think about it in, in business, Elon Muskish type of thing, or, or maybe you think about it in science. But we're having Jesus. Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Okay? Is there any room in there for he was just a good teacher or he was just like us? That... He struggled with porn just like we do. He struggled with telling the truth just like we do. You know, see, we want to, we want another Jesus because this Jesus makes us feel, feel exposed. That's what it does. It makes me feel exposed. 
So what we did in America is we humanized Jesus to be just like us. Because if I can make him just like us and he's divine, well then therefore I can be divine just being the way that I am and that God just loves me the way that I am. That's bullcrap. God doesn't love you just the way that you are. He doesn't want you to stay just the way that you are. He wants you to become like Christ. He loves you in the moment of you being as you are, but not so that you can stay the way that you are, so that you can become like him in all things. Is that the Jesus you had on the cross? Because if you picked up any other Jesus in any other church, even this one, it was a lie. It was the worst lie that you could have possibly have heard. We can get marriage wrong. We can get, um, I, I don't know, we can get just about any subject wrong. You get Jesus wrong, and in the words of the apostle, it all should go to hell. I mean, because it's, you get him wrong, you've got the whole thing wrong. Let me just finish that reading, because it's like so over the top. He is the radiance of his glory, the exact imprint of his nature. I have no idea what that means. It's just too big. It's, it's basically, he's not a coin with a stamp on it. If Jesus in technology would be described as being, he's not just an input. It would be a coin that talks. Um, it would be a, a hologram that, that is, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine what this idea is. But let me just go on. He upholds the universe by his power, and after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Is this the Jesus you thought was on the cross? He's then called by Paul the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn being a Hebrew and Jewish term that is used to, to designate honor and precedence over all other things. He goes on to describe it this way in case we didn't get it. He says, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. I mean, everything was created by Jesus. I mean, did you ever wonder why he's walking on water and how he pulls it off? Did you ever wonder how we can all of a sudden take uh, two purification bottles full of water and says uh, at a wine, when at a wedding and it runs out of wine and it's got water and he goes, yeah, go ahead and serve it. And somehow in between that moment and when they get it in their cups, it's all of a sudden, it's, it's overridden the principles of fermentation and aging and all of a sudden it becomes the best wine. Did you ever wonder how he's, did you ever wonder how they could all of a sudden give him five loaves or three loaves or five loaves and three fish or something like that. Some kid's lunch got ripped off. They took the kid's lunch and, they, they, and then he blessed it and he broke it and he fed 5,000 people. Did you ever wonder how he pulled that off? Because he was a good teacher? It's like, no, for by him all things are created, both in heaven and earth, visible, whether things, uh, thrones, dominions, and rulers, or authorities. Oh, don't even get me started about that part. Because did you know there are dominions and rulers and uh, in unseen realms? Um, I mean, you're probably one of those persons that, what if there's aliens? You know, what if they're aliens? What if, what if you know? Another created creature, another creature out there that may be smart. Um, if they came here, they're not too smart. 
I mean, it's like there might be better places to go. Uh, but, but there are other creatures. It's like, what will we do if there's aliens out there? Well, let me just tell you, <laughs> the aliens are your least of your worries. Jesus created dominions. There's Elohim. There are these other, there's these other beings that are out there that we, in the unseen realm. And I know for some of you, like, you know, you're talking demons and angels. I'm talking bigger than that. I'm talking about, you know, just like in the world of the kingdom of animals, there's this whole level of family and philo and philo, and I, I never did good and stuff like that. But, you know, how there's all these classes. There's classes. You turn that pyramid upside down, and it goes into the unseen realm. But the great thing is, is this Jesus who dies on this cross is the one who created all them as well. Is that the Jesus that you thought was on the cross? All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things are through him and for him. There is nothing rogue. Maybe from the standpoint of human experience, we, 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 we perceive randomness as rogue. Um, but I, everything that I've learned about science, that once we get another uh, point of observation, and that's the problem, especially in quantum physics, is that once you are at a point of observation, you have affected the outcome of the observation. Schrodinger's cat, if you're into any of that, it's really an interesting concept. Uh, you know, is the cat alive or dead in the box? The moment you open up the box, you determine whether it's alive or dead. Concepts like that. But the problem with humanity is that we think we discovered randomness, but it's only because of where we're standing we observe all things. Well, the Apostle Paul says, goes back to the only plant platform that is not affecting anything else, and that is Christ. In him are all things through him, and here's the other thing, for him. You weren't created for you. You weren't created for a good time. You weren't created to be happy. You weren't be created to become something. You were created for him. And the sooner you realize that, you know, that gun went off yesterday, I don't know, was it 8 o'clock in Mount Pleasant, and, you know, uh, went off and 35,000 people started running up the bridge. See, that's humanity. Uh, we're all running uphill trying to find some sort of purpose, make it work for us. We work hard to make it work for us. Uh, and we're running uphill. But I'll tell you, the sooner that you discover that it was all made by him, through him, and for him, all of a sudden you get over the crest of that hill and you begin running downhill. It becomes a whole different 10K, whole different experience. We were created for him to experience his love, to experience his mercy, to experience his justice, to experience his purpose, and all of it. We were created for him. Is this, or did you think Jesus was created for you? That's the American Jesus. It's ludicrous. Jesus is created for me because he becomes everything I need him to be. It's like, no. He is before all things, and for all things were created for him. And the quicker we come into alignment with him, all of a sudden, we become interesting. We become persons of interest to the grace of God when we receive him. 
Paul's not finished yet because he really, and, and I will be in just a second, so just hang on. Just a, he is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. That's going to be interesting. So that he himself will come to have first place or preeminence in everything. First place in everything. Second to nothing. Second to no other idea. Second to no accomplishment. So if you're out there and you're saying, I'm a good person, you know, God's not going to judge me. God's not, I mean, that you have accomplished something of such preeminence that it overrides Jesus. If the one who created you and created you for himself thought that and, and died on the cross because he knew you needed it, and then you show up into heaven after you die and you say, well, I was a good person. And he's like, listen, so, you, so you're saying you're more preeminent, you're, you're you're more than Jesus that you could pull off. Can you see how that's not going to really work out very well? Could you see how that might even like tick God off just a wee bit? Um, but I love it. He says he's the firstborn from the dead. And what that says to me, and I know there's a lot of theology in that, but bringing it into my life, is that um, uh, he's, he's second to none of my worst failures, my deadness. And you may be here today and you think everybody here is looking pretty good. I mean, you guys do look really good today. A lot of you, you know, um, you're looking good, you're feeling fresh. And, but uh, most of us aren't willing to share what's really going on in our lives. And then some of us have darkness in us. And I get it. Well, everybody does, but only some of us are willing to admit it. And you're think, thinking here that your darkness is so dark, nobody could possibly go darker than that. And Jesus says, oh, I have preeminence in all things, even in deadness. And I am the firstborn from the deadness. Meaning that I don't care how deep your hell has gone. I don't care how dark your life is. I don't care what misery you have created on this planet. Jesus says, I am wider than that. I am higher than that. I am deeper than that. And if, unless you have a, this Jesus, you don't stand a chance. You just don't stand a chance. I know we all have ideas on who Jesus should be. And I've read all the books and thrown all the books. And um, I just get like so angry when I read stuff about people shaping Jesus into their own image. It finishes up this way. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the, through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Everything goes through Jesus. When he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When he said, no man comes to the Father, it's a through, through me. He meant it. He meant it. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other. There is no plan B. There is no good deed done. Um, he was made peace. He has made peace with us and the Father. He's made peace with us and with us. And so it really is time for us to get serious about this Jesus. This Jesus. Now, whatever Jesus you had in your mind when you walked in here today, and I know some of you, I can sense it. 
are angry right now. It's like, ah, I, don't, I don't buy this. Okay, guys. Um, show me your documents. Show me your science. Show, show me your philosophy. I mean, if it's not the biblical Jesus, there is no other Jesus. I mean, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, it's, it's the scriptures. It's like, where are you getting information about that there's a different kind of Jesus? I want to know what it is. Be logical. Be consistent with your worldview. Show me your information. But there is no other Jesus of Nazareth born to Mary. Now do you see why? I mean, all of a sudden it begins to make sense. Not the how-to, but born of a virgin. Why would you have to be born of a virgin? That's stupid. Uh, that's crazy. Well, wait a minute. If it's the image of the invisible God, if the irradiance of his nature, we're going to have to get him into the world a little bit different than all the other schmucks. Okay? And I don't mean to be rude, but I do mean to be rude. Is that we have lowered G Jesus to being just like us. And don't confuse, because he was made in the likeness of man, and because he understands us, he is not us. And I need to make sure that you have the right Jesus. This Jesus is the great power of the universe. This Jesus is the first and the last word of existence. This Jesus is the only holy presentation of the unseen Father, and this Jesus has the power to forgive every single one of us. And this Jesus gave his life for you. Why won't you get on board with this story? Do you have a better one? There is no better Jesus than this Jesus. Do you see why Paul was so, using the phrase, go to hell, so vehemently? It's because this Jesus that they encountered was incredible. So as we go into this moment of expression, so I want you to remember, the nature of Jesus determines the nature of his interest in you. So if the nature of your Jesus is just a dummy like, like us, then the nature of his interest is than a dummy like us. If the quality of him determines the power of his interest in you, then if his quality is just a good man, then that's all you're ever going to get out of a man is his quality. But if he is everything that the apostles, the angels, the scriptures told us he is, then every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no other Jesus that can raise your loved one from the dead. There is no other Jesus that can give you a new life. There is no other Jesus that can give you way into the very gates of heaven itself. There's no other Jesus that can give you hope. There's no other Jesus that can say, it is finished. You are forgiven. There's only one Jesus. There's only one gospel. And as we go to receive communion, what may have looked like to you, and I'm sorry it's in a little snack pack thing, and it, it offends me too. I mean, I wish it was like bread and a cup, and, but we just can't do that. But, but let the scriptures take us further than the implements. 
what Jesus is saying is this God of all creation is so interested in you that he gave up his mortal experience for you. He poured out his blood and suffered for you. The quality of your Savior will determine the quality of your outcome. And the quality of Jesus in the scriptures is the majesty on high. And he's saying to you, come and eat and drink in participation with me. Father, thank you so much for your love. God, I've I mean this with all my heart. Thank you for not sending some second-class schmuck angel down to planet Earth. Thank you, Lord God, for not waiting for us to get all our acts together. Thank you, God, for that I didn't have to come from the right father or the right mother. I didn't have to be born on the right side of the tracks or have the right skin color or the right gender. The God that I don't have to give up smoking to go to heaven. I don't have to become perfect so that I'll have eternal life. I just got to get Jesus right. And when I get Jesus right, I become a new creation. Not just like Adam, who is in the image of God, but I become like Jesus, who is the very image God, that we become more than sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. We become sons and daughters of the living God. This, Jesus, I bow my life to today. I bow my knee. I bow my, I bow my heart. I eat and drink to receive this Jesus.